to be with you here over the Progressive Radio Network, PRN. I'm Catherine Davis, and this is Heart of Mind Radio, and we explore the many ways that we can engage in self-discovery, self-renewal, and expansion, expansion of our beings, expansion of our world so that we can have a impact on the experience and existence we have within our lives. So often, we are impacted from what goes on around us, and we lose focus, or perhaps we lose touch with who we truly are. And it's really important for us to always leave space to realign ourselves and to reconnect into the truth of who we are. One of the obstacles, at least I have found, one of the obstacles to this is the way in which we think, repetitive thinking, or perhaps absorbing the criticism and judgment from outside and around us. And very often, especially as children, we internalize those judgments and a manner of thinking that is not helpful overall. So when we look into ourselves and begin to expand our capacity to make that deep, honest connection. It is a wonderful way to further our cultivation and really to be able to live our lives with more comfort, more, more peace of mind, and just a, a state of realness, of, of being, that is not tied in or plugged in to some wayward thinking process. And on today's program, we're going to take a look at this. 
Many of us have heard of meditation, of course. And we've also, especially I have spoken about heart awareness and heart consciousness as opposed to patterned thinking. But in truth, all of these aspects of our awareness, our thinking mind, our considerations, is done with our mind, an aspect of the mind. We have a divine mind, a divine connection, our own heart-mind, and which connects deeply into the truth of our being. And we also have our discerning mind, the mind that looks out in the world and tries to figure out the best course of action, helps us to understand and to integrate and to grow. So we really are connected in so many ways when we think about how expansive our mind process can be. And when we recognize that we have all these layers of mind that at the deepest level put us in touch with the truth of our being. And we're going to hear in a moment an excerpt from a talk by Eric Butterworth. Eric Butterworth is a remarkable teacher and thinker, and he is has ministered in four unity communities, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and New York City. And while in Detroit, the congregation raised funds to build a Detroit Unity Temple, the largest unity church at that time, with more than 2,000 people. In 1961, he began his ministry in New York City, and he gave Sunday lectures at Carnegie Hall, Town Hall, and Avery Fisher Hall in Lincoln Center, where the weekly attendance grew to several thousand. And he has 14 popular books, including Discover the Power Within You and Spiritual Economics. Eric Butterworth has since uh, transitioned, so we could think of him as an ancestor, but he left a great deal of wisdom. And we're going to be looking at this. Um, this excerpt is called uh, The Basis of Positive Thinking, and it's from his talk on the art of thinking. And really the theme of this program is the potency of transcendental thought. So let's have a listen to Eric Butterworth, and then we'll come back with a few reflections on this talk. If you have a desire or an urge or a yearning or a hope or an aspiration to make your destination down any road, then any obstacles or blocks along the way can only be temporary if you recognize the potency of subjective transcendental thought. Obviously what this refers to basically is intuition, it refers to inspiration, the inspiration of the Almighty as, uh, as the scriptures put it, which giveth the understanding. But it simply means that you will always turn to that resource, that mind resource that's ever with you, and acknowledge as the uh, Old Testament writer puts it, that uh, before they call I will answer that there is an answer for every need. And the answer is implicit in the need. If, if you have the need to go from here to Chicago and the road is blocked, 
there is already in your superconscious mind the means by which you can bridge the gap and rise above the obstacle. And also the way this whole process works is miraculous because in seeking the solution to get over that obstacle, you find a new dimension of yourself. And man has always shown this down through history. In simply trying to find stockings for the legs of the ladies during the Second World War, we developed a whole new nylon industry which changed our lives. And in trying to overcome steel shortages, we developed plastics. And uh, uh, the colleges may not like it, but plastics have changed our whole way of life in America. And so it has always been, you see. In seeking to circumvent one particular limitation, we've opened up a whole new world. Perhaps the time will come, and a lot of people say, that eventually we will, we will get all of our food out of the ocean. Just think what that will do. You know, we can plant all our farms in gardens. We won't have to worry about farming anymore. And ultimately it may well be, who knows, that we will get all of our foodstuffs directly out of the air, right out of the sun's rays, where it all comes from anyway. You know, this is way in the future. But it may well take an obstacle of some kind such as a food crisis that many people worry about, an overpopulation and so forth, before we're smack confronted with the obstacle and the roadblock and the crisis that will cause some creative mind to look up, to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you this day. And the answer, as one writer has put it, will come right through the skylight. Right through the upper dimensions of mind will come an answer, will come a new solution. But there's always an answer. Well, now, it's, it's an exciting thing to know that there is always a mind substance to support us in whatever we may be involved. Tremendous reserves of light and guidance within us if we resist the temptation to settle on the facts available which often tempt us to come to a logical conclusion that there's no hope. I like the story that Mark Twain tells about himself. Now, here was a man that was delighted to poke fun at religion and religious people that many thought he was an atheist. But the word atheism and agnosticism and so forth are words that are meaningless because usually the person who's an atheist or an agnostic is a person who just can't stand the blind acceptance and devotion of people who are involved in religion who do nothing about it. And many times this person is a very deep thinker and quite often a subjective thinker who draws heavily upon this universal flow. So Mark Twain tells this story upon himself of the time when he suddenly discovered that a particular manuscript of his had gotten lost or misplaced and there was a series of ideas that he felt he needed in developing some other thing. At least he didn't want to let go of it. It was something he really felt that was invaluable to him. It was an article that had been published in the Christian Herald and so he wrote to the Christian Herald, a very simple process, asked them if they could give him a file copy or have some sort of a copy made. And they wrote him back an embarrassed letter saying that that particular issue many years before had uh, had, had a great uh, uh, demand for it and they'd, they'd sold out every copy and by some strange reason it had never happened before, even their file copy had gone. And they had not a copy of it at all. So he asked about, went to libraries and asked people and came up with a, with a dead end everywhere, a blank. There was just no copy available. But Mark Twain, you see, and this is always true of the creative mind, he was a subjective thinker. He said, I know that there's a copy somewhere. Someone has it, and he knows that he has it, and someday I will run into that person. 
Now you might say that's ridiculous, you know, that's a Pollyanna viewpoint. And it's certainly surprising that a man like Mark Twain would be engaged in such a Pollyanna thing. But somehow he believed this. And that was, it was a kind of an analogical way of seeing things. Logical in a sense, you know, you could say that surely and maybe at that time 120 million people or 150 million people throughout all this nation, there must be somewhere where this copy exists. Perhaps in a musty attic or in a basement somewhere, somewhere it is. So in a sense, it's not too illogical, but it's pretty impractical, you know, to believe that you'll find that kind of a needle in a haystack. But any time the thought came up or somebody would ask him about it, he'd just repeat it. He'd say, I know there's a copy somewhere. Somebody has it, and he knows he has it, and someday I'm going to run into that person. Well, he tells the story how one day he was walking across the street. He was waiting for a traffic light right here on the corner of 5th Avenue and 42nd Street. And a man came out of the crowd up to him and referring to him by his pen name said, Mr. Twain. He said, isn't this strange? He said, last night I was going through some things and I ran across this old magazine. And he said, I looked at it and I saw there was an article of yours and something popped into my mind. I said, you know, he may want this. <laughs> so he said, today, right now, I'm on my way to the post office to mail it to you. So he said, here it is. And he disappeared in the crowd. <laughs> Had no name. He didn't know who the man was or where it came from. He suddenly found himself with the magazine in his hand. I know there's a copy somewhere, somebody has it and knows that he has it, and sometime I will run into that person. Now, that's not logical, really. I mean, even in telling the story, many people say, well, you know, that's, uh, you, you, can't, you can't count on that kind of approach in life. But the potential for this kind of thing is far greater than we suppose. And all we have to do to shore up that kind of belief is forget about the great species of, of homo sapiens and look at some of the lesser creatures in what we call instinct and just recognize the almost impossible feats of such things as birds and eels and all sorts of things and bees and bats and, and all the many feats that you find in the, in the uh, biological uh, world around us and we see that certainly there must be factors or capacities of this intelligence which shouldn't be any less in man than in the animals. There must be factors of this intelligence that we haven't used. So the point is that this kind of thing, the potential for it, is far greater than we suppose. I had a, a, an, a, uh, an example of this a few years ago. I've had so many in my life that I couldn't even recount them. And uh, certainly when things like this happen to me, uh, I'm always uh, overawed, and yet it's happened so many times that I should be an absolute believer that any time I lose anything, any time I need anything, I should know instantly that it will be found because I've had so many demonstrations of it. But unfortunately, I happen to be one who is a kind of a logical thinker. And so usually I look about logically and I find myself playing the same old record. Well, you know, I guess there's no hope and then rationalize it. Well, maybe I didn't need it anyway and so forth, you know. For instance, uh, a few years ago, I was out at uh, a conference at Unity and uh, there was a minister's conference. And uh, one evening uh, we went over to a person's house and, uh, in one of the suburbs and they had a lovely swimming pool. So there were a number of us there, and uh, we went in swimming. It was a hot summer night, and I can remember getting undressed and dashing into the pool. And, uh, well, at any rate, when we left to go home that night, <clears throat> I got dressed and looked around. I couldn't find my watch. Any idea where the watch was? No, it was, excuse me, it wasn't a watch, it was my glasses. That's right, I was wearing the glasses in those days. And I, I just suddenly thought the watch, you know, the watch would be no good if it was in the water. It was my glasses. That was the thing. That's why it was such a, a startling thing. I couldn't find my glasses anywhere. 
And we looked, and pretty soon everybody was looking, and uh, no glasses. And so finally, you know, uh, it was kind of a desperate situation because I was leaving immediately from there. We were going off on three or four weeks of a trip, and uh, in those days I felt that I just couldn't get along without my glasses. So um, it was very desperate. But anyway, I had to go home, back to the, the Unity Village, and uh, bedded down for the night. And uh, suddenly in the night, I woke up thinking... I've got to go back there tomorrow because I'm going to find those glasses. I still don't have any idea where to go. But uh, the next morning I awakened early and I simply put my swimming trunks on and, uh, and a robe and got in the car and drove over. It was several miles away and did it almost without thinking and walked in. The, the dog came running out and he wagged his tail and I didn't tell the people I was there because they'd think I was terribly foolish. Ran, stood at the edge of the pool, and without any deliberation as to where or how, I dove into the pool, went right down to the bottom at a particular spot, put my hand right on my glasses, went right back home, you know, almost as if it was matter of fact. And it was later that I began to think of what a really remarkable thing this was. And it was more remarkable when I told the people, I called them and told them that I'd found the glasses and told them the whole story. You know, their reaction was, why didn't the dog bark? This dog had never been known to let anybody in the yard outside of the immediate family without barking until everybody in the neighborhood heard. And he wagged his tail let me in, you see. So they knew then something remarkable had happened. And how would I know even to, that they were in the pool or that I would find him in that particular spot again? These kind of things you can say, well, it's just, a, you know, just chance. But that sort of thing has happened so many times in my life, and I'm sure it has to many of you that we should recognize that there is a process, there is an intelligence, there is that within us that knows. And if when we find ourselves after we've done all, you know, as uh, Ernest Wilson always says, go first to man, go next to God as and if man directs, which is sort of a theological way of saying it. But after we've, we've looked around to find whatever possible way there is to get around the roadblock and suddenly come to the conclusion from a logical point of view that there's no way, then be still, and let the mind give expression from the vertical process to the infinite intelligence and let this guiding, directing instinct, if you will, this intuitive process work through you and there's no limit. That's the strange thing about this process. There's no limit. We may find all sorts of objections to this kind of thing and say, well, you know, there must be certain times when there's no possible way out and obviously there may be times when maybe the roadblock is is, is a way of my superconsciousness telling me that I need to be on a different road, that that isn't the way I really want to go anyway, and we will admit to that. But if that is a direction that I need to go in, and that there is a divine desire within me to go there, then there is a way through or around or over, and the superconscious process will reveal it to me if I can stand still and lift up my eyes and let it happen. Not reasoning, not logically analyzing. There has to be a time when we say, I let it all go. I've thought as far as I can think. Now I'm at the end of my rope. Now I let it all go. And I let this mind process. Now that is a kind of thinking. Any people say, that's prayer, that's meditation. All right, if you want. Remember again, Emerson says, prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. Prayer is thinking. Man is a thinking creature and he never stops thinking. There's no way to stop thinking. That's why man is called man. The word man actually is derived from, from a word which means to think. Man is a thinker. That's the, that's the whole nature of man. You can't stop thinking. But you can think horizontally or you can think vertically. vertically. 
And it's so important that man realizes and begins to work with the vertical processes of the mind. Now, this is not a Pollyanna kind of thought, yet this is really essentially what positive thinking is. It's an inner knowingness that is always present. It's determining that I'm not simply going to think about this thing. I'm going to determine what I want and think it into expression. It's thinking things into action. That's positive thought. It's not trying to make, make things right by saying they're right. It's not saying, oh, everything's all right. There are no obstacles. You know, there, there's some folks that have this, this metaphysical thing all down pat, that you stand right there before the mountain and say, there are no mountains, there are no mountains, there are no mountains, and stand there spinning wheels forever. You know, I have no cold, I have no cold, yet I'm offending everybody because my nose is running. You know. That isn't it. That's not the basis of positive thinking. It's... Determining that that which now appears is only a part of reality. It's only a perverted expression of the whole, but there is a whole. And what I now seem to be and what I'm demonstrating and manifesting certainly is what I'm manifesting. Let's face it. This is, this is where I am right now. But where I am and what I am is only a partial expression of the potential of me, of the wholeness of me. So the positive thinking is letting God thoughts express through. It's not simply thinking about things, it's thinking things into expression. It's creative thought, you see. It's letting this divine process work, and it must always be preceded by looking up. And that's simply an illustration, it's a symbol. But this you see in the scriptures. You remember the time when, when Jesus refers to this, uh, this concept where ye say that it is yet six months to the harvest, but I say unto you, lift up your eyes, for the fields are now white unto harvest. Lift up your eyes, get a more transcendental view. And he stood before the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for three days. And anybody in his right mind, logically, objectively, would say, when a man's dead, he'll be a long time dead. But Jesus stood there and it says, he lifted up his eyes and gave thanks. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, maybe you don't know how that worked, and I don't in any way want to tell you that I know how the process works any more than I know how instinct works in an animal. But let's don't limit it. Because that's subjective thought, you see. Lift up your eyes. doesn't mean looking off into heaven and saying, Oh, God, help me, you see, because that creates a divisiveness, a duality. That isn't it. It's looking away from the situation. Stop seeing it as a limitation. See it as an opportunity, you see. I have an empty pocketbook. I'm not broke. I just simply need money. And so I recognize that my empty pocketbook is a vessel to be filled. And so I simply say, All right, I'm ready. You see, And I get the feeling that there is an infinite process of substance that flows through me and I see it filling that emptiness. That's the whole basis of prosperity. It's a basis of healing. And when we recognize that facet of mind, we have a whole new dimension to our lives. Many of us, I'm sure, have been working with this. So we're really simply uh, reviewing some things that I'm sure most of you know all about. But the thing is, we, we want to begin to acknowledge this dimension of mind and see it as being vitally important. We need to, to work to establish what we could call creative optimism. Emerson talks a lot about this. Uh, certainly it may be true, as Thoreau seems to imply, that Emerson talked about it and he did it. That, that Emerson was sort of the philosopher that didn't always live in his own life what he taught. Well, that may be true of anybody. 
still there are some vital concepts of Emerson's that I, I think we certainly can take a great deal of, of uh, privilege or pride or gain a great deal of inspiration from. Here's a thought that I like. He says, the good mind chooses what is positive, embraces the affirmative. He says, don't be a cynic and disconsolate preacher. Don't bewail and bemoan. Omit negative propositions. Nerve us with incessant er, affirmatives. Don't waste yourself in rejection, nor bark against the bad, but chant the beauty of the good. In other words, actually develop a creative optimism, which means that you keep a constant trickle or flow of this vertical process of the mind to actually give richness to the horizontal process of the mind. In other words, you don't simply go running off to the hills. You keep your feet solidly on the ground. But your logical mind actually gains enrichment by a vertical process. And the belief that I go as far as I can go, but always there's more in me. And I have faith in that, you see. We, we want to remember that the choice is always ours. And, and, and if, if we become a pessimistic person, it's because we have a habit of choosing the negative in every case. It's like the, the person who says, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I have a feeling that when the Lord sends me tribulations, it's my duty to tribulate. And many people justify a negative state of mind in this way. Worriers, you know, think it's ridiculous to stop worrying. If they're not worrying, they're, they're worrying about why they have nothing to worry about. You know, because it's, it's a habit pattern of seeing things in a negative way. And we have to change that process. The pessimist, of course, will say, I'm a practical realist, and I'm not going to say I have no problems when the world is beating on me. But that isn't what we're saying. You don't have to say you have no problems. Of course you have problems. We all have. Everybody has. The person who hasn't got any problems is a person who's not alive. Because life is a constant challenge for growth and development to evolve the potential that is in us. There's a rather interesting insight outlined by William Ernest Hawking, a professor at Harvard University a number of years ago. He says, man is pounded upon by a million mallet blows from the outside in terms of the challenges of life. But each person has the last word on how these blows shall modify him. Each one is clay to the potterdom of his group, but not passive clay, not putty. He is clay with an inner resilience, alive with a bent of his own. Man differs from the other living beings in the vim of deliberate intention of this self-shaping. All organisms, he says, do an unconscious job of self-building in the growing process. All animals do a further subconscious work of self-building as they make their way into the habits of their species. But man alone consciously varies his pattern. He takes the biological type as an outline, but beyond that he works as an architect. And that's why we're told it is not yet manifest what man shall be. But what you are right now is simply the clay that you have to work with. But in no way is it an evidence of limitation. You know, it's the old thought, I am what I am, and that's all I am. That's Papa, you see. And that's a pure rationalization of limitation. All I can do is all I can do. I, all I can do is all I've ever done. And I've always been this kind of a person, so I'll always be that kind of a person. You see, that's the purely um, objective, logical way of dealing with life. Purely reactive process of mind. The interesting thing is those who have taken the hardest blows throughout all history have ultimately become the greatest persons. Excuse me, that was Eric Butterworth. Eric Butterworth. And I find this 
to be one of his most inspirational talks. And he has many because it is really helping us to define some very, very realistic ways of looking at our thinking and understanding our thinking process and how to, I won't say take control, but to really guide and shape through our own choice and action how we can work with our own mind to create and manifest and grow in our own lives. So it's it's an extremely powerful state to be in. And I think it's very, very useful to really contemplate this and to think about how it plays out in our lives. Welcome back. You are listening to Heart of Mind Radio. I'm Katherine Davis. And in our first segment, we had a recording. Of course, this is a recording that occurred some time ago because the author of this work has transitioned in 2003, Eric Butterworth, born in 1916 and transitioned in 2003. He was often referred to as a 20th century Emerson, and he is considered a legend and a spiritual icon in the unity movement. A visionary and an innovator, he originated the spiritual therapy workshops. The author of 16 best-selling books on metaphysical spirituality, a gifted theologian, philosopher, and lecturer. And Butterworth was a highly respected New Age pioneer and innovator of New Thought, whose life was dedicated to helping people to help themselves. And I resonate very strongly with the work of Eric Butterworth, probably share some of the same perspective, maybe mission, Though my work is not so much focused on spirituality from the perspective of religion, he was a theologian, but he did uh, share information in a way that was very open and very accessible to the common person, the everyday person. And the New Thought movement was really a very powerful movement that took place in the early part of this century, Eric Butterworth was one of those um, speakers. Others like Robert Collier, who wrote the book The Secret of the Ages, was another. And really, they were speaking to a basic science of understanding how the mind works. But beyond that, also understanding how much we can be the motivating factor of what takes place in our mind, in our body, in our life. And there comes a point when we can really stand up for ourselves and begin to be more of the architect of what happens through our mind, 
and what happens in our life. And in many ways, that's what this talk was about. It was really um, from the speech he offered, which is probably an hour-long speech, maybe a little longer, called The Art of Thinking. And I particularly liked this excerpt, and I'm calling it the basis of positive thinking because it really does get down underneath and makes that connection of thinking to transcendental thought, which to me was very powerful, that phrase. He is talking about the potency of transcendental thought. And this was a little bit of a new concept for me. Of course, I have heard of transcendental meditation, but to merge that and make it less about the activity of meditating, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor, and make it more about our everyday process. And one of the uh, things that Eric Butterworth also spoke about in this talk was vertical thinking, which is very interesting because it gives us direction to reach, depending on how you think about it, to the higher resources, the more expanded resource of um, creative energy, source energy, uh, dynamic of intuition and synchronicity. But also if you're looking at vertical thinking, it also points you in the direction of the root, the um, earlier information, the earlier existence and being that gave uh, gave rise to your own expression in life, your own being in life. So one might think of that as your oversoul, your soul, your um, influences from early life, your past lives. All of these things flow into us and give rise to expression and action within our life. So when we think of it in terms of vertical thinking or transcendental thought, it allows us to expand in layers. So if you think of yourself as a birthday cake, a three-layer cake, you will see at the bottom layer of that cake will be more of your root information, information that you were born with, information that comes to you through your lineage, through your ancestors, through your DNA. And if you look at the top layer, that is your connection to an expansiveness of information that may be beyond your perspective or perception. But if you allow, that perspective will flow into your process. And this is a way that I'm thinking of transcendental thought and vertical thinking. It's a way of moving through life with that openness existing inside of our selves. And the middle layer, which is essentially our self, our walking, waking, living being, if we focus in the center of that layer, we'll find that expression of our heart awareness, which is what I speak to very often. And the heart awareness is the space of integration. It's the space where knowledge and information can come up through the root and be expressed 
it's the space where knowledge and information can come from the source field and be expressed within our lives. And so when we process all this gathering of information in the heart awareness, that gives us the capacity to move through life with that sense of knowing beyond thinking. And this is what Eric Butterworth was speaking of when he spoke of Mark Twain and of himself, of being able to have a sense of knowing, a sense of direction that is not bound by thought, where you could just move through a space and arrive at the place you need to be at the right time. And we can begin to regard our lives and our activities within our life as having this basic human power. We only need to walk with that awareness and tap into it. I had a similar experience with glasses, eyeglasses. I um, Very often in the morning, I'll go to the park in my neighborhood. I generally go to Prospect Park and do my meditation and my movement practices, my Qigong practices. And this actually happened last summer, I believe it was. And I went and did my meditation and came home. I usually go out, do some journal writing after my meditation. And then when I got home, I realized I had lost my glasses. I didn't know where I put them. I assumed they were somewhere in the house, couldn't find them, looking, looking, looking. Never did find them. But, you know, the next day I went on out to the park to do my meditation. And I go some distance into the park to a spot that I really enjoy. Did my meditation and then started my journey home. And I'm walking across the field of the park at a random pace, a random point. And just as I'm about to step off the grass onto the pavement of the walkway, right there in front of my feet are my glasses that I had lost the day before. And it was really interesting that in my travels and my meandering, I was guided right back to the spot where I had dropped these glasses, though I had no conscious awareness of when or where that took place. And this is kind of an example. I'm sure we've experienced this. But we can expand this into a much deeper dimension in our lives if we are open to it, if we can withdraw from the um, programmed thinking, the the circular thinking that keeps us trapped in a loop and in that self-entrapment, that um, um, self-binding to our thinking process, we begin to have the same cycle of behavior and the same cycle of occurrences in our life. So we might continue to cycle amongst people who will reinforce our thought process, whatever that might be. Or we may um, continue to cycle through illness or a particular kind of depression. And so very often when when we come to realize that we are cycling through any kind of experience, that that experience is rooted in our thinking. And 
when we reach a point of wanting to change that, wanting to transform it, then I believe it's important to remember that we have this capacity for transcendental thought. It means to take whatever the thought is, whatever the feeling is, and then reach into a more expanded dimension of our awareness and allowing for information to arrive without really questioning or knowing where it's coming from or having to be able to explain it. Of course, we want to have discernment so that we are pulling and acknowledging and working with uh, information that comes from a more expansive state and more um, with a capacity to really have a positive impact. And so this is just one other way that we can really have a sense of aliveness in our lives and open up to greater capacity of being, expressing, and living. I almost said control, and I paused and didn't say that because it's really not about control. It is about opening up to a natural flow that we have a capacity to tap into. It's not difficult. And really, the obstacle, if there is an obstacle, is habit, the old habit of mind, the older habits in how we think. So it's really important to examine that or to catch it maybe would be a better way of looking at it, to really catch the thinking patterns that are taking place in our mind. Very often those thinking patterns are not of our own design. They are patterns that we were taught as children or patterns that arise through various kinds of social programming, including advertising and marketing that we see on the TV or in movie theaters and really from media in general. There will be a great effort to subliminally or sometimes overtly implant ideas that are going to be a controlling factor in our lives. And it's really important that we recognize this for what it is, but also, and probably more potent, is for us to catch these um, perpetrators, these little interlopers of thoughts within our own mind, and then counter them with that which we choose to inhabit our mind and inhabit our lives. Because we can think of thoughts in some ways as little gremlins who just erode our sense of confidence, erode our sense of peace of mind, and in some measure can also erode our well-being, our sense of well-being. So 
<clears throat> we want to be somewhat vigilant of the thinking patterns that we have carried on habitually. And we can usually identify them based on the feelings that arise from them. So if you are feeling a sense of confusion, if you, rather than react to that sense of confusion, take a step back and become more of an observer of your own mind, of your thoughts, and you'll begin to hear the message that's being repeated subliminally within your mind. And that sense of confusion is arising from those thoughts and are not necessarily a measure of what is really going on with you or what is really possible for you. So if you say to yourself endlessly, I'm so confused, then that will bring about a sense, a feeling, an emotion of confusion. If you um, say to yourself, wow, this is really troubling me, I'm really upset about this, it starts as a thought, but it will begin to manifest inside of you emotionally and in your field this sense of being upset. <clears throat> Or if you are um, accustomed to being defensive, having to defend yourself, whatever it is, having to prove yourself, these thoughts, when are being looped in a cycle, begin to emanate within your body like seeds, emotions, and the emotions flow into your physiology, and then the physiology begins to react through stress or being shut down. And so, so much of our life is being um, controlled by patterns of thinking that are really not even conscious. And when we begin to take control of ourselves, when we begin to watch these thoughts, and transform our thoughts, then that is when we are able to move into that state of vertical thinking, transcendental thinking, and opening up to the possibilities of solutions coming into us from a capacity that's far beyond our thinking, our regular thinking mind. And that's when we are moving into the transcendental mind, the transcendental capacity, which is a natural human capacity, but we've not been trained or really taught that this is a way that we can change and transform our lives through the allowance of expansion, through the allowance of intuition, and through the allowance of, I would say, divine intervention, the... the um, the guidance of our higher self, of our root self. So it's a very, very powerful way to begin to transform our experience within our lives and to, as well, transform our health. So I want to invite you to take another listen. You could always go to the 
website at prn.fm and look for the Heart of Mind radio page. And you can listen again. You'll find the stream there following the show, as well as an opportunity to download and listen to the program. So I invite you to do that. And when you go to that page, the Heart of Mind page at prn.fm, you will also see a whole history of programs and with meditations and information that you can experience again or for the first time. Or you might want to share with friends and family in your life. I encourage that. There's a lot to share and there is a lot that we can do to transform, uplift, and expand our expression, our life experience. So I also want to let you know that I will be having a number of events coming up in the next two months. I will be offering two programs for moving meditation. And one is Quantum Qigong. And it's an invitation to enlighten your workout with Quantum Qigong. We all want to do what we do to to create health in our body. But quantum qigong is very much like the the concept of transcendental thinking. It includes, however, the movement and the expression of your, the fullness of your body. And its design is to integrate your mind, body, and spirit. And for those of you who don't really know what qigong is... It is the graceful interplay of breath, meditation, and movement. So it's an interplay there. You're moving, you're breathing, you're allowing your awareness to flow into your body, into the earth, into the environs, into the cosmos. And as you move, you're moving all of this around and within. It's a very beautiful expression designed to cultivate inner peace, and to activate your innate healing capacity. And this is how we achieve a state of relaxation that allows to dissolve stress and improves energy and revitalizes the body. It's an ongoing program, It's and for information about that, you can give a call to my line. It is 347-480-1694. Three four seven four eight zero one six nine four. You could also email qigong online at gmail dot com, and that's spelled with a Q Q I G O N G O N L I N E at gmail dot com. A beautiful experience. I invite you to join me. Also in the summer, through June and July, when the weather allows. I will be offering Qigong in the park, in Prospect Park. And this is Qigong practices based on traditional Chinese medicine, Taoism, Buddhism, and the principles of harmony, balance, and grace. So again, it's moving and breathing and allowing the energy to circulate, to relax and to heal yourself and to bring into balance. And this will be in Prospect Park, We're meeting at the Grand Army Plaza entrance June and July on Tuesday morning, 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. 
and Sunday mornings from 10 to 11 a.m. throughout June and July. Again, for more information, you can call 347-480-1694. And one more beautiful thing, an, an experience, it's a group experience, the Spiritual Support Group, Heart of Mind Spiritual Support Group, and Healing Circle has moved to a new location, and it is a -a once-a-month event. And you can always, again, call for details at 347-480-1694. And you can reach me, host of Heart of Mind, Catherine, by emailing heartofmindradio at gmail.com. I thank you for joining me today and invite you to stay tuned for more great programming throughout the day here over the Progressive Radio Network, prn.fm. Stay tuned and join me again. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars above in your eyes Fantabulous night to make romance Need the cover of October skies You know the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow You know I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heart strength that plays soft and low You know the night's magic Seem to whisper and hush You know the song My love, can I just make some more romance with you? My love, well, I wanna make love to you tonight. I can't wait till the morning has come. And I know now the time is just right. And straight into my arms you will run. And when you come, my heart will be waiting to make sure that you're never alone. There and then all my dreams will come true, dear There and then I will make you my own And every time I touch you You just travel inside Then I know how much you want me that You can't hide Can I just have one more moon dance with you, my love?